Zach Wilson flips it left, Tyler Croft. There's a jet touchdown. This is the Rich Eisen Show. He looked comfortable out there. He looked like the smooth operator that Daniel Jeremiah said to put Sade's songs in her head. The Rich Eisen Show. Do I ask you now how you're feeling about the Jets? No, I'll save it for closer. Dude, you should just pipe down too. <laughs> Earlier on the show, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley, sports and political commentator Keith Olbermann. Coming up, 49ers tight end George Kittle, Dodgers infielder Justin Turner, and now... It's Rich Eisen. Hour number two of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. Great chat with Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Really hour like number him, one. We've really got like we've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of hours. Uh, hour three, back to back, two dudes that you just want to hang with, I think, in their respective sports. One of our favorites, George Kittle of uh, the San Francisco 49ers in hour number three. He's going to tell us who's going to start season uh, week number one. It'll be great. Breaking news. Can't wait for him to join us. That's awesome. um, To break news, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then uh, after him, Justin Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers will join us. The Dodgers, who had won nine games in a row, and then the Mets broke up that winning streak. And then uh, the Braves had won nine games in a row until the Yankees broke up that winning streak to win their 10th in a row. Man, Stanton is on fire. You know what? He's playing really well. The Yankees are a terrific example of what momentum looks like. We see it every now and then, obviously. Mm -hmm. But this was a team, the Yankees were a team that was one-dimensional and nobody could hit because a pitcher had no true challenges in the lineup because they just could keep pitching the same pitching pattern to every last person that was up there. And the only left-handed hitters they would face in the first half of the season, essentially, was Aaron Hicks as a switch hitter. He got hurt. And Brett Gardner, who was in there because they needed some lefty bat. They went into the season with hardly a, a single lefty bat. LeMahieu, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Glaber Torres, all righties. There was no balance. There was no, like, okay, so where's the lefty in the lineup for uh, a tough right-handed pitcher to have to switch things up it didn't exist and then they started slumping at the same time double play after double play to kill a rally and Corey Kluber throws a no-hitter gets hurt the Yankees also lost the uh spider tech I'm serious like some pitchers yeah. that we thought you know remember Garrett Cole's response when asked if he used it and as you know, Chapman is the one thing about this red hot team that hasn't been totally fixed. Mm-hmm. But all you, all the Yankees did was they got Rizzo and they got Joey Gallo, and the same trading deadline, they got the two. There were two left-handed bats out there that the Yankees could get. The you know Marte from Arizona, I don't think was available, but the two lefty bats that were out there. To go get the top bats, Rizzo and Gallo. You get them both. They got them both. And what that did was not only balance the lineup in a way that they hadn't had before, but it extended it. Extended the lineup. And it allowed a lot more of the lineup to feel that not everything in every at-bat was on them to start something. The concept in baseball of passing the at-bat to your next teammate 
and create some sort of a flow that was missing from the Yankees now had been created. And folks like Gardner, who was playing every day, even though he might be a part of his career where he shouldn't, now just gets a spot start here and there. And when that sort of stuff happens, it becomes contagious. I have no idea what Luke Voigt is out of his mind. He's been playing spectacularly after he pounded the table to say, I should play just as much as Rizzo. And something like that that could be a distraction or a problem is something that Aaron Boone is handling perfectly. Everybody, even the guys on deep end of the bench are playing well right now. I shouldn't talk about it out loud because I've root for it so damn much. No, keep talking about it. No, look, and, and, and so the Yankees are now the wild card favorites. They're four games behind the Rays for not just the AL East lead, but the best record in baseball, with, uh, in the American League, pardon me. Best record in baseball belongs to the Giants, although the Dodgers are hot on their trail. And the Giants uh, are, are seeing the Dodgers get larger in their rearview mirror as a closer object because of their trade deadline. I mean, they got Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. I mean, good God, in the same trade from the same team. It's just like, wow. That is unbelievable. And they also prevented from, you know, in the same way that the Yankees got Rizzo and Gallo and they prevented the Red Sox from getting one of them. They prevented the Padres from getting Scherzer. Scherzer. That was the the rumor deal the whole day. That could be the difference between the Padres making the playoffs at all, which they should do. But they've fallen off. They've fallen off. And the difference between the Dodgers going and running the Do- the Giants down. Yep. And Pujols has been just, unbelievable. Been awesome, Mashing man. lefties like he's just fresh <laughs> just into awesome. St. Louis. Yeah. And what he's doing in the locker room and what, what's happening with the Dodgers and just like the just like the Yankees, they they got some they got some white knuckling out of their closing spot too. You know, yeah, no lead is safe, really. Although I don't know, I watched uh, I, I watched Kenley Jansen close the Mets out on six pitches the other night on three three outs, six pitches. But then the next time it'll just be another white knuckle run. Kenley Jansen, most famous for catching my. Los Angeles Dodgers ceremonial first pitch all those years ago. Was he an outfielder then or a catcher? Uh, I think he was a bullpen catcher, yes. Yeah. And then after catching my realized ceremonial that. first pitch, realized there's more things to do in life than this sort of work. Sure. Then he became a, a top flight closer. Yeah. So you're welcome, Dodger fans. <laughs> we'll talk to Justin Turner shortly. You believe it's been 32 years since Pete Rose signed the document saying, I, I, I agree to be banned for life? No. 32 years. 1989 is, doesn't seem that long ago. And every, I bet, I would have bet, I shouldn't use that phrase. I would have supposed 32 years ago today that 32 years later, he would be back in some way, shape, or form. And I always thought that Pete's way back would have been to take the same approach to gambling and talk about the scourge of gambling and how it can tear a family apart or it could tear a career apart. And that it's it's addictive. And it's something that just, that, that tears you down. It's something that is very dangerous if you can't get a handle on it. 
to the point where you being a top flight, world-class, Hall of Fame hitter involved in the highest levels of the game, leading to a managerial career where you're now managing people to try and even get close to your level of outstanding excellence and use your entire mental Rolodex and mental, you know, all your memories and all your experiences to bring that to bear on a nightly basis where night in, night out, you're living and dying on every pitch. That's not enough for you to scratch your itch. That competitive aspect is not enough. You got to put something on it monetarily and just point out to people that that's a problem. In other words, the same approach that Mickey Mantle took to alcoholism towards the end of his life. If he had done that on that tour, become the face of gambling is not for you. Because it wasn't for me. Can be for some. But if it reaches a certain level, help me help you. Write books about it. If he had taken that approach, I think he'd be back. Never did. Never, ever did. And I know there's still a large faction of people out there who think it still shouldn't matter because what he did when he was playing was still so far and away superior than most any other human being who stepped in a batter's box and hit a moving object mm. than, than we've ever seen. Ever. And that alone deserves for him to be in the Hall of Fame and that he broke the rule of betting on games as a manager, although he's you know betting on his own games, that's still something that you know is is still out there. The fact that Charlie Hustle did it, what how he did it when he was part of the Big Red Machine and all those years, and the Wheeze Kids in Philadelphia, remember that? Just look at this photo that was him, just head it's, head. You know the same. way he played the game. You don't see people play the game like this. No. Hair waving, helmet gone because he's diving headfirst into home plate here. Ran to, to first on a walk. Right, all of that. Well, into obliterated so, catcher. And that it should game. not matter that he should be in the Hall of Fame and it's a baseball Hall of Fame and museum. museum. So put it on his plaque. But he signed that document. And the guy who he made the deal with died a week later. Keith Olbermann was at the press conference, at Bart Giamatti's press conference. Oh, man. And that's one of those things, too. Where, so I'm sitting around, you know, Smitch, Sean Mitchell of uh, Crack Rich Ivan Show, producer. He sends out a list every weekend of the upcoming weeks, anniversaries, movie premieres, celebrity birthdays. And I saw on this date, 32nd anniversary. It was ni- this date in 1989 was when Pete Rose was banned for life. 32 years ago. And I thought to myself, who can we get? And Keith hasn't been on the show in a while. I'm like, okay. Because now he's not with ESPN anymore. And that used to be maybe potentially an impediment. And um, so I just said, you know what? Let's reach out to him. And his answer is like, well, you know, I was at the Giamatti press conference. And I'm like. Of course you were. (laughs) Figures. (laughs) Yeah, figures. (laughs) Again, this is the guy who, when I first started at ESPN, (laughs) 
I did a sports center with him. It was one of the rare instances where he wasn't at the planning meeting, the ideas meeting, as they called it. That's how a day would start. I don't know if it still does there, but you do the 11 o'clock Eastern Sports Center, there would be an ideas meeting at like three in the afternoon or something like that, two in the afternoon. Forget what time it was. Keith was always there whenever you did a show with him because he was basically like the executive editor of Sports Center. Certainly for that night that you're on the show. It's Walking like, what do you have? What do you think? What should it be? You know, whatever. At least it was when I was there. And certainly when I was in the room as a fresh, wet behind the ears, straight from Redding, California, Sports Center anchor. And so we, you know, everyone would defer to what he thought. And he wasn't there for this meeting. And I remember producer, a guy named Bill Fairweather. Billy Fairweather. Fairweather. I mean, like literally straight from central casting out of the divided <laughs> with his voice and everything. And then one of the all-time great hangout guys after the show. Oh. oh. But anyway, so the idea was, hey, um, let's do a home-cooked piece is the phrase that we use, which meant we're just going to do it, write it, and then sometimes the anchor would write it or a producer would write it and the anchor would track it if depending on how busy the night went on greatest game seven performances by a goalie in Stanley Cup final history because we were right there I think it was prepared for a game seven could have been a Patrick Waugh versus Martin Brodeur game seven or something like that my memory is kind of hazy about this so like hey let's do tomorrow night that's that that's what we got Let's do a home-cooked piece on what's the greatest Game 7 performances in Stanley Cup history by goalie. We would just throw it out, you know, hey, how about this one? How about Billy Smith, the Islanders, whatever. But we were all kind of at a loss. And, and, and at some point, it was just like we got to move on with the meeting. Fairweather, well, I will just ask K.O. when he comes in. And I'll never forget, like this is just a couple of months of me being on SportsCenter. And I'm sitting at this desk. It used to be the old control, the old newsroom was like a mission control setup so it would be like a row of people sitting five wide here and then a little bit higher behind you five wide here and it just would keep going up and I don't know, and right in front of you would be all these tv sets you could watch everything at once together i remember sitting there and keith came walking in about an hour later he was i think at an appointment or something and he had all these books underneath him these big huge like encyclopedia looking <laughs> books underneath him with one arm like he's dragging them all and he was in like <laughs> i'll never forget this in like some sort of softball jacket you know with some old school i probably from like 1950s or something <laughs> right, right. right a pipe and he comes walking in and fairweather stops him and says hey ko this is what we were talking about in the meeting do you know of any game seven performances and he stops he goes 1930 something whatever year it was, Stanley Cup finals, you know, Rangers versus somebody else. Coach, you know, because this is before masks on goalies. Goalie takes puck off the face, can't finish the game five. Coach comes off the bench, shut out rest of game five, shut out game six, shut out game seven. I'll write the piece. I've got a photograph of the guy at my desk. You could put it above my shoulder as I redo the lead-in. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself at age 26, what? holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> How do I ever reach that level? And I, I, like, he made me better. Yeah, you're like, what? Okay, jokey jokester who makes everything a joke on Sports Center. You know, you better lean on your Medill School of Journalism degree a little bit harder than you're doing right now. And the piece was phenomenal. Of course it was. And the lead-in was great. And so when I reach out to him, hey, do you want to be on uh, talking about? 32 year anniversary of Pete Rose being banned for life. Oh, you know, I was at the Giamatti presser hunt. Okay. Yeah. yeah great, great. I fig- that's why I asked. I figured yeah. something like that would come back by text. So I can't wait. That's next, right here on the Rich Eisen Show. KL before uh, GK, George Kittle, and then uh, JT, Justin Turner, right here on the RES. Don't go anywhere. Back with more in a moment. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So sleep number helps me. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices make sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Let's get into uh, this uh, Ray yeah. Fossey uh, yeah. set to at home plate. Speaking of, the way to get into it is one of the greatest home run hitters of all time. You replaced in that All-Star game in 1970, right? You didn't start that 70 All-Star game, Pete. You know, I don't remember that, Rich. All I know is the game was in Cincinnati. And all I know is uh, I was friends with sudden Sam McDowell, who played for the Cleveland Indians. And I had dinner arrangements already made with uh, Sudden Sam the night before, and he called me about a week before and said, they added Ray Fossey to the lineup. Could he go out to eat with us? He was a rookie. I said, sure. And we went out to eat. We went back to my house, and they stayed till about 1 o'clock, and Ray asked me every question in the world about Johnny Bench because he was the next coming of Johnny Bench. And if you watch the, if you watch the tape, Clyde Wright was pitching. Amos Otis was playing center field. Jim Hickman was hitting. Leo DeRocher was coaching third. I started the slide head first. The Ray had to plate blocked, and I'm not going to break both my collarbones. And you never slide if you can't reach the plate. 
and I went over him, and I tagged his way with my right hand. This is God's honest truth. Uh, I guess my knee hit his shoulder. I missed the next three games. He didn't miss any, and he went on to play nine more years. So for all the people that said I ruined his career, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, okay, let's take this one at a time. You dined with Ray Fossey the night before? That's what you're saying? I took him out to eat. I took him to a place called Sycamore Shores, which is a boat on the river down in Sailor Park where I went to grade school. And, you know, to this day, and I have no idea why, Rich, to this day, Ray will not admit that he went out to eat with me, and he will not admit that he went back to my house. <laughs> and he will, it's the truth, and he won't do a card show with me. Really? Why do you think that I, is? I, I don't know. I don't know what, because I've never badmouthed Ray Fossey, because Ray Fossey was a, was a good young player at the time, and he's, you know, he's playing in the Buckeye State, where I played all those years. But I had to do what I had to do, because my dad was in the stands. If I just slide in and let him tag me, we might be still playing that damn game. All right, I know. Just to wrap this whole thing up, do you think the fact that Ray Fossey isn't talking to you today is because of uh, the way that this is lived in in history, or or what? Like, did did you make him I pick hope up? The- not because he has nothing to be ashamed of. He was doing his job, and I was doing my job. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if I'm there a, a, a tenth of a second uh, slower, he knocks me on my ass. And we're talking. You're probably interviewing Ray Fossey today instead of me. <laughs> what could it possibly? That's just the advantage I had that night. Could it? And po- it just happened to be a game played in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's right. Where the where the, they played today on Pete Rose Way, and they got a big ass statue of me out in front of the damn ballpark. So I had to be safe, Rich. I couldn't be out. That was Pete in July of 2017 right here on the Rich Eisen Show, back on our simulcast with the Rich Eisen Show on NBC Sports on Peacock, uh, also on Sirius XM Channel 211 every day after the Dan Patrick Show. DP, obviously, uh, attached at the television hip with this man, certainly was when I was uh, first at SportsCenter, and um, I am thrilled to be able to call him a friend and now a guest of the Rich Eisen Show here on the 32nd anniversary of Pete Rose being banned for life in baseball is the great Keith Olbermann. How are you, K.O.? Well, I just had to knock Dan over, Rich. I mean, he was getting in my way, and I had to roll him over. And My dad was in the sh- in the audience. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Not a problem. <laughs> no, so DP is the Ray Fossey of this, uh, of this analogy right there? Well, he would not say that, no. <laughs> How you doing, Kale? How you well, doing? I've been banned enough times, so I think my buddy actually <laughs> works, doesn't it? It never occurred to me before. It was like, why am I sympathetic to Pete Rose? Oh! <laughs> so, uh, tell everyone where you were 32 years ago today, Keith Oldman. Bart Giamatti's announcement mm. of the suspension banishment of Pete Rose. By happenstance, I was working in Los Angeles. I was the sports director at Channel 2. And it was summer, nothing going on, vacation. I was home, leaving Friday morning. It was a Friday uh, to go back to L.A. And Thursday night, the story began to break that this press conference was going to take place through the plans into reverse. Went with the local crew from Channel 2 here in New York and was at that press conference. And, you know, I mean, it's a historical moment. We see it as like a flash There's two points of importance. One, that story had been building up for a year. I have a vision of myself standing outside spring training with the Angels in 1989, holding up Sports Illustrated with the beginning of the end of Pete Rose. That was March. So every day that summer until this time of the year, it was Pete Rose this, Pete Rose that. 
you know, four years after he broke the hit record. And this was, I, I, this would be the, the equivalent of, I don't know, banning Otani in four years or, or any other huge baseball figure. Uh, and the second part of it was Bart Giamatti, and I said it on the air that day, and I still haven't gotten over this, was the most alive I ever saw anybody anywhere the day that he banned Pete Rose, and a week later he dropped dead of a massive coronary. Mm. It's still just the, the, the most forceful, righteous indignation. He was vengeance uh, as, uh, as justice. And, and and most just the most alive person I have ever seen do anything, and he was gone a week later. An extraordinary week. So, um, what was it like in that room, Keith? Thirty-two years ago today, there was there was there was Bart Giamatti, and the rest of us were just kind of just kind of watching this uh, orchestra conducted by a man by himself. I mean, he was he he had the whole thing prepared, and it was clear from his phrasing, based on what we we're hearing out of Cincinnati that he had somehow convinced Pete that this was a reviewable suspension and a temporary thing and maybe a year or something, and then, in fact, he had slipped the noose around Pete's neck uh, and, and, and did what we have seen since, which was a lifetime ban without really ever calling it that. But it was so dramatic, and rarely do stories in any line of life in, in my 40-plus years of covering this stuff Stories that have such a long buildup. I mean, there were rumors of this in 88. I first heard something about Pete Rose and gambling in 1980 out of the memorabilia business. And it took all that time to build up, and yet this was like, I can't compare the, the, this to anything else of that kind of long buildup. This was lightning. This was a series of lightning strikes, only the man standing at the podium was throwing the lightning. That was what it was like. Keith Olbermann here on the Rich Eisen Show, 32nd anniversary of the uh, Bart Giamatti press conference announcing Pete Rose being banned for life. KO was at that press conference. So the sense was at the time that that Pete would have a chance to come back? or No, like- no I think the sense was that uh, Pete thought he was going to get a chance to, to come back. And a lot of the ill will between Pete and baseball, I think really originated with the idea that, that they, they, I don't know if they didn't read the documents close enough or Pete didn't understand them or what happened, but Jamani was going for a permanent ineligible ban. I mean, his last words were the subject of Pete Rose is closed. Uh, and I think the, 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 from later in the same day, when they put those questions to Pete, he was like, no, no, it's going to be reviewed in a couple of weeks, and that's the whole... I mean, he believed he was signing some sort of admission in exchange for leniency, and I guess the leniency was he was only suspended for one lifetime rather than for 25. But Giamatti was was clearly furious at that news conference and, and suppressing rage, and it contributed to the to the nature of the... Uh, the forcefulness and and many people thought it contributed to to Bart's death too because the whole the, the entirety of his commissionership was essentially consumed by dealing with the Rose scandal as it built and built and built and that was uh, you know if you tie this into the idea that's also sort of lost to history Bart Giamatti was considered to be the man most likely to save baseball from itself he was a, a president of Yale a scholar and and baseball addict. 
and a Red Sox fan when that meant you can endure losing, who wrote poetry about baseball, and who was probably the most overqualified baseball executive of all time. And he was coming in, he was going to clean things up, and the first step was, you know, oh, Pete Rose thinks he's going to sue me? Go ahead. Try it. And that was his attitude. He was going to say the same thing and had said the same things to owners. And we haven't had a commissioner in sports like that. There have been some good ones like Adam Silver and a few others who have done okay. But commissioners are toadies who are management employees. Say Vincent would have banned like 16 owners. <laughs> if he'd had, uh, excuse me, Dramati would have done it. Vincent tried. Bart Dramati would have banned 16 owners if he'd had 20 years in the commissionership. So there's that second element to it as well besides Pete. So then I guess that might answer my next question, Keith Olbermann, which is if if Giamatti had not passed away a week later, you know how stances soften over time, right? So mm-hmm. do you think the fact that Giamatti passed and then there are people who are close to him who do believe that the, the Rose scenario uh, and situation led to his um, uh, heart-giving way, that that if he had lived, that maybe Rose might not be banned for life today. No, I don't. I I think that uh, regardless of of what the consequences were, I mean, obviously Bart Giamatti died because he was a was a chain smoker, and uh, and his and the other things that that brought stress or pressure to him could have been interchangeable with things that did or did not happen elsewhere in his life. I mean, you can you you can I'm 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 recreating a sense a sense of. This must have contributed to his stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? But I will say this. I don't think that that there would have been much of a different path for Pete under a, a long-term Jamadi commissionership because, again, there had been in that year many threats from the Rose side, like don't you dare try to. I mean, he's the most popular man in baseball, which might have been true. Um, he's the most famous player in baseball. He broke that bastard Ty Cobb's record. Uh, I, I think... Jamadi was was believed that the entire power structure and the rules that he most believed in, as in no gambling, uh, certainly no gambling on your own team, passive aggressively or otherwise. I think he believed Rose was not only violating them but challenging them and challenging essentially the rule of baseball law. And nobody was righteous like Bart Jamadi. It put a lot of people off, uh, but it endeared him to other people because he he was that hard on himself and people that he liked as well as people he didn't like. But it was a personal struggle between these two men, and Bart Giamatti died thinking he had um, banished Pete Rose for life, and I think it would have stayed that way. And what about Rose's demeanor towards all of this? I, I, I had mentioned earlier, and I wonder what you think about it, Keith, um, that had Rose taken the approach towards gambling and uh, made himself the face of the scourge of gambling, similar to what Mantle did about alcohol, and how it can tear away at your career and your family, and it's not yeah. for everyone, and don't do it. Had Rose taken that approach, do you think he would still be banned today on that front? Uh, I, I, I'm really conflicted about the answer to that, because you could just as easily ask the theoretical, if Pete had laid low for a long time and then came out as the face of baseball-friendly gambling, which the leagues have now endorsed, uh, maybe he would have been reinstored that way. You know, uh, the, the the attitude towards this entire topic has done a 180 in, in the last uh, 20 years, maybe longer, really. It started with the acceptance of uh, fantasy baseball as kind of a low-grade uh, uh, gambling form, which I often indulged in, as you may remember. <laughs> yes, I do. But, 
um, you know, it's it's such a strange. Uh, what's moral and what's immoral? It changes every few years in in many different areas. I, I don't think, I I think Pete went through periods of time in which he was really remorseful and was was showing an understanding of what happened and was trying to atone. And I thought he should have been left off the hook. And then, oh by the way, this stuff with underage girls came out, and that was the end of it. But they did, you know, the commissioner's office had to sign off on Pete Rose going back to Fox for baseball postseason coverage. So he did, in fact, get back into the game, and there was a path for him to go further back into the game and maybe even have that ineligibility lifted in some formal way. It had been, to my mind, it had been lifted informally. Pete Rose was not, I mean, you can't be banned from baseball and, you know, be on the frickin' postgame show for the World Series. So that's, not, that's you know, it's, it's like the Joe Jackson ban. We're going to celebrate Shoeless Joe Jackson every year now in Dyersville, Iowa, but he's still officially banned, and nobody should do what he did. Brought to you by DraftKings. It's kind of a mixed message now. <laughs> Keith Overman here on the Rich Eisen Show. What about the sense uh, of the fact that Cooperstown is a museum as much as it is a shrine to the greats and placing uh, on a plaque the whole story as best you can fit on a plaque and put Pete in uh, for what he did on the field. What about the sense of, of that? Well, Please. you're now asking to to do something subtle in one of the least subtle places in, in the world, which is the Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, if you wanted to do that, there, there are means to do it tomorrow, stratify the Hall of Fame into echelons. You know, the all-time immortals or whatever you want to call them, which would be Ruth and Aaron and Josh Gibson and 20 people or whatever. And then there'd be everybody else who reached certain statistical plateaus and other people who got voted in and, and infamous people who, you know, ruined their own lives and careers. And you could have a, essentially the Hall of Fame members who were, uh, bad guys. If you want to have Barry Bonds and, and Pete Rose over in one section with Shoeless Joe Jackson and Eddie Seacott and, and, and George Hall and Jim Devlin from the 1877 Louisville team that threw the, the pennant that year, you could do that too. But this is, you know, this requires a lot. I will point out, as is often, I think, mentioned about Pete, uh, the best part of the Baseball Hall of Fame is the behind-the-scenes tour that you can usually get if you know somebody. Mm -hmm. And in a room downstairs next to the 37-degree photo uh, vault is the uniform vault. And I forget how many Pete Rose uniforms are in the Hall of Fame right now, but I believe it was a dozen. And that, by the way, uh, the uniforms is how we knew something was wrong because when you could not collect baseball uniforms because teams did not sell them or distribute them uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, you could always find a game-used Pete Rose uniform. And the story was he needed so much money for something, gambling was the rumor, that he used to buy the uniforms after he wore them in a game or two and would sell 20 or 30 uniforms a year. And the joke was, Collector goes to the dealer and says, I want a Pete Rose game-used uniform. And the guy goes, uh, Cincinnati, Montreal, or Philadelphia? And the fan goes, uh, Cincinnati. He goes, home or away? <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> home, uh, 60s vest style or big red machine pullover? Uh, uh, pullover, please. Okay, what size? <laughs> and that was that was that's literally that's 1979, 1980. So we sort of saw this coming. So it circles back to the idea that Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame, uh, as Shoeless Joe Jackson is in baseball's marketing strategy. It's such a complicated subject, 
which would be made a lot easier if they just said, hey, this is a complicated subject. The rules bend now and again. We're going with this one this year, and we'll see what happens next year. A few minutes left here with Keith Olbermann on the Rich Eisen Show. I would be remiss if I did not uh, finish up uh, with this because you referenced him uh, to try, and I uh, imagine, uh, place in perspective for those who might be of a a uh, little younger than than us, Keith, to try and place in perspective what banning Rose felt like back uh, in the day 32 years ago. You invoked the name of Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. I, I would be remiss if I did not give you the floor to try and place in perspective of what we are seeing from him this year, Keith Olbermann. All right. Well, there's, I'm, this is not a criticism of his work nor a oh. a diminishing of what he has done. Okay. It is almost unprecedented for the time um, that we're living in, in which the, the key is specialization. He is a generalist, and this is an extraordinary thing. I will point out there was a 19th century pitcher who one year led the league in earned run average, and the next year was the batting champion. So these things have happened in history with two-way players before. I would say that I would like to see a little bit larger body of work. Not that there's anything that suggests this is going to continue, mm-hmm. but I'd like to make sure that it's more than just a couple of seasons before it's, you know, he's the greatest player of all time. Well, no, Babe Ruth is the greatest player of all time because he did this. He had a Hall of Fame pitching career and then a Hall of Fame record-setting hitting career. It's early, and my biggest problem with baseball right now, and it's true of all sports, is whatever just happened, if you phrase it correctly, it's a record. That's the most homers and wins by one guy on a Thursday in the middle of August. And people take this dead seriously, and people get credited for pointing these things out. And I just like to – the greatest baseball pitching season of all time was by Harry Krause of the 1909 Philadelphia A's. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows who the hell he is. His first 10 starts in 1909, he threw eight shutouts, 10 complete games. We don't know how many earned runs – he gave up, but it may have been as few as two. And those were his first 10 starts. Then he hurt his arm, and the next year he's pitching for Portland to the Pacific Coast League. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Shohei Otani. I'm just saying, please give me a little bit more context before I assess him amongst the panoply of all-time greats. Because I heard this all year, all spring, from friends of mine like Gary Cohen about how Jacob deGrom was the greatest pitcher of all time. I was like, can you just... Can we just get to the all-star break without his arm falling off? <laughs> and so, nobody will do this now, no matter what the sport is. It's whenever I turn on coverage of the NBA or NFL, it's the same thing. It's like, he's the greatest player of all time. He came into the league three weeks ago, and, and, and I'm only being slightly hyperbolic about this. Let's just assess something at the end of the season. It's extraordinary. It's something out of, uh, in terms of comps, you have to go to the 19th century to find anybody who was this good at both things, um, even for this period of time, because Ruth, of course, was a pitcher, small transition period, about a year and a half, then basically just a hitter. Uh, so it's remarkable, and it, it, it's, it's, it's Hall of Fame trajectory, but it's really early. All right, so that's the long-term view. What about, let's just place it in 2021 box. Is it most valuable? Is he the MVP of the AL? Um, by by almost every definition of it, other than the fact that the Angels are once again not in a pennant race, and if they were, you know, maybe Trout would be injured for the playoffs, which would be Trout's, poor Trout's luck. Right. Uh, other than the contending quality that you like to see in an MVP, yeah, I mean, I think it should be unanimous at this point. 
for the simple reason that, once again, when you say who's the greatest baseball player of all time, at least in American and national league context, we don't have a full picture for the players who did things similar to this in the Negro Leagues. But in the American League, National League context, what what exactly, who do you compare to Babe Ruth? Who was, in, in his time, perhaps the best left-handed pitcher of the game and then became a hitter, the equivalent of whom now would have to hit something like 150 homers in a season. <laughs> so when there is a guy who could finish at 50 homers and double-digit wins as a pitcher, um, you know, just the 50 home runs might get him the award. But if you throw that added little, you know, free song of excitement that is, oh, yeah, he pitches and wins. And I, and I speak as somebody who was utterly skeptical of this when he came into the American League. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I would say that he's the, if he, if he were to sort of go home for the year or not play again or whatever for the season, I think still, yeah, this performance is most valuable player because it's it's it covers candidates and wipes out it wipes out most of the other hitting candidates and it holds its own against most of the other pitching candidates. Ko, this was awesome. I, I as I had hoped and expected and and uh, greatly appreciate. And you know, of course, I know you you were into rotisserie baseball and fantasy baseball. I'll just let everybody know. Uh, when I was the intern for the CBS Evening News in the summer of uh, 1994, uh, Eric Sorensen, who was the uh, executive producer of the Evening News, one of the first tasks I did was to uh, make copies of the one uh, report from the weekly report that was mailed to him for a fantasy or rotisserie baseball league. And as I uh, copied that for Eric, I noticed the name on it of one of the members of the league, Keith Olbermann, and uh, I immediately asked Eric, how do I get in touch with him? Can I send a tape to him? And his uh, end of the summer present to me, or at least kudos to me, was to actually send a tape to you, Keith, and that's how I first got in touch with you, ever. Correct. Correct with one Uh insulting detail that was (laughs) wrong. Of course. As usual... (laughs) <laughs> I, sir, yes, sir, was the commissioner of that league. Ah, so then, I ran that league. So then, and, and yes, how did yeah. I get copies? Oh, wait a minute! I opened his mail for him and yeah, that saw sense. that it came from you. Now I used to, I, I used to compile the stats, yes. put them out weekly when this was still a novel idea when you couldn't just buy stats from a stat provider, and I would fax them. <laughs> I would fax them from my home near ESPN headquarters, world headquarters in in Bristol, Connecticut, fax them and then put a copy in the mail in case somebody needed a hard copy. We did the standings, did the standings, read up to the minute, state of the art stats once a week. (laughs) (laughs) KO, thanks. The was in that league. And we, in fact, we used to have the, the auction was by coastal because most of these guys in this league were with me in Los Angeles in local sports. And we would have, and by coastal auction where some of the owners would get together at an L.A. TV station and Sorensen and me and the one year Mike Tirico was in it. We would get together on a Saturday morning in a boardroom at CBS at CBS TV. And we would have this thing. We'd get on a speaker phone and conduct this auction <laughs> with all these guys. And yes. And, and then Eric's called me up one day. And got, Hank, hang on. I've got somebody for him. Hey. Eric was great to me. Eric gave me all sorts of money. Eric bought me two or three houses. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that, but he's, he hooked me up with you, and uh, I still speak with him. And 
And I'm uh, uh, thrilled that I, I still uh, can He's get also, you. He used to make really bad trades with me. Another reason I liked him very much. <laughs> Take care of yourself, K.O. Thank you for the yeah, call. you too, Rich. I really Be appreciate well. it. Thank you. That's the one and only Keith Olbermann right there on the Rich Eisen Show. How great was that, right? <laughs> the 1996 version of me, as he corrected me, just died inside me. <laughs> as usual. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I got to get him to tell that story one day, too. Okay. Take a break. Phone calls and uh, setting up shop for George Kittle and Justin Turner right here on the Rich Eisen Show. There's news in the NFL. Somebody got sent home. Somebody got sent home. (laughs) That's the tease. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You came to me, and I'll tell the story again. But I told really, you're like, "Hey, let's go grab some. Let's go grab something to eat." And I thought to myself, "Where are we going?" I mean, I'm going to dinner with Craig Kilborn, who obviously I'd watched you and 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 totally loved everything that you were doing. And I'm like, "This is this is the Sports Center experience. It's amazing." And then we pull up to the Kenny Rogers Roll and Roaster drive-through, <laughs> and you proceed to say that your contract's up, and tell me about the job that you have on the table, and you describe the Daily Show to me. Yeah, and you ask me, "What do you think I should do?" And I, I, I can remember, and of course I bought you dinner because I do. I one which, of my favorite things to do is to buy the young people, young broadcasters dinner. I occasionally don't buy dinner. That's when I charge an appearance fee when I'm at a place. <laughs> I, I think I asked because I, you're a broadcaster, and I said I wanted someone to say, I, I never knew if someone was like, oh my god, yeah, get the hell out of here, or that mm-hmm. sounds so cool, or I don't know, I didn't know what you'd say. I just wanted to hear. You know, I had no idea what the hell to say. Well, the only reason I did is because of what you told me. <laughs> The only reason I left is because Rich Eisen said, go, man, go. Yeah, I did. I actually said, follow, you know, what your gut or follow your dream or something like that. Thank you. Plus, plus I knew, you know, the rumor was that you, you just wanted out anyway. I had, I had done my job, but I was grateful. I was grateful for it, by the way. I, every job I had, I was grateful for. I just wanted to do a network late night show. That's what I wanted to do. And then you got it. Yeah. 
Why did you leave it? I've always wanted to ask you that question. I'm going to give you an exclusive. Okay. Uh, I'm glad it was an easy decision to leave. The CBS show is easily my favorite show. Wasn't even close. The daily show was important because there was no way I was going from ESPN to CBS late night. Right. And back in the nineties, people forget this. There was a big difference between cable and network. In fact, the daily show, they developed it because politically incorrect was leaving to go to ABC. Correct. So Daily Show was a blast. I was living in New York, but I didn't like the uh, the format. Was a news parody, four minute interviews, mm-hmm. half hour show. I wanted to. Do, I, my hero was Johnny Carson. I wanted to do a late night show. So I do the CBS show, five year deal, and I lost interest. Here it is. I'm going to spell it out because okay. people don't understand it. Some people do get it. Mm-hmm. Some it's funny. This, I, I don't th- expect anyone to understand it, but that's fine. But some people do. Mm-hmm. I won't, I'll use the word bored here. I, I say I lost interest in the comedy of late night. Mm-hmm. I got bored of the comedy of late night mm-hmm. and I have this weird, irreverent sense of humor, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I also didn't want to do, I don't want to do uh, social commentary. Like the late, the late show guys now have to do some politics and social commentary. They right. all do a great job. Doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. So... And it worked out perfectly because that was kind of, for me, it was an easy show to leave. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And there it is. Happy 59th birthday. Wow. Killer. Kilby, Lord Kilby. 59 years old today. (laughs) One of my favorites. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial here on the Rich Eisen Show. Um, Hey, uh, everybody, and I I hope he's okay. Um, He's being sent home because he's a close contact. Uh, with a member, I believe, of the training staff of the Buffalo Bills, who is t- which is uh, tested positive. But Cole Beasley has been sent home as a close contact, which is what uh, you are uh, subject to being if you are unvaccinated, which, as we know, he is most famously not so. And um, and you know, I- I've met Cole, and I I I like the guy, and um, I just patently disagree with his approach to refusing to take the vaccine and talking about freedom and freedom of choice, which is a dreadful analogy to make about your decisions about your body, your choice, which many, many women across this country have been saying for years only to have folks who are supporting Cole Beasley talk about it's not their choice, really. So he's been sent home. And which means he's now got a test negative for five straight days before coming back. Of course, um, if he was vaccinated, he would be with his team right now. And that's why, again, I'll repeat what Michael Irvin has said um, and what I have supported. What Dion said, by the way, Coach Prime. Coach Prime. Coach Prime said this, that if he is not vaccinated, he's not and he's not with the team, then he's not helping his team win. So he's doing everything that he can do to help his team win by sticking around and being vaccinated and I understand that <clears throat> Mike Vrabel is vaccinated and he's not with his team right now. It's not it's not it's not a foolproof guarantee. The vaccine is not a foolproof guarantee. I am a personification of that. I am fully vaccinated and I got it. But I didn't die from it. Thank God. I'm here to tell you it is far greater odds of you to avoid the hospital, and even worse, when you are vaccinated, it is a proven fact 
Numbers prove it. My story proves it. I cannot say it enough. You are not doing everything to win in the NFL if you are not vaccinated. That is a fact because the way that it's all set up, you are in a different status if you are unvaccinated. Fair, not fair. I'm sure Cole Beasley is steaming right now at home. It's not fair to him. Take the jab. I might start a new segment here on the Rich Eisen Show every week called Take the Jab. Hashtag Take the Jab. (laughs) And in case anybody who's wondering about why this, that, the other thing, still... One thing you can't say anymore is, well, it's it's unproven. It's not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Well, that we're now removing that from the board. That happened earlier this week. Jerry Jones said this on 105.3 The Fan today. Quote, everyone has a right to make their own decisions regarding their health and their body. I believe in that completely. Okay. Until your decision as to yourself impacts negatively many others, then the common good takes over. And I'm arm-waving here, but that has everything to do with the way I look at our team, the Cowboys, or the way I look at our society. We have got to check I at the door and go forward with we. Your Dallas Cowboys are doing that, end quote. Old Dr. Jones. (laughs) No rubber gloves here. Though. Well, I'll tell you what, it's 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 the it's the straight fact. Well, old Doctor Jones with my rubber glove is going to make sure every one of you are safe. There you go, <laughs> and he's doing it, and he's proving well it. Well done, Jerry Jones. This is not about anything other than the public good. More vaccinated means lesser chance of a variant. Please consult your doctor if you don't believe in old Dr. Jones with his rubber glove or you think that I have some sort of agenda. It's not politics for crying out loud. And in terms of football, it is fact about winning. You want to win. You want to be with your teammates. You want to be there for them. Well, then don't be someone else's close contact. And it's not because Cole Beasley was walking around the building without his plexiglass walls being built around him. Here endeth the lesson if it's necessary. And I don't, oh, trust me, I don't want, I don't, I, honestly, I just want to talk about sports, pop culture, all that sort of stuff. But I have this microphone in front of me and I have these thoughts in my head and my heart. And it's for us. It's for us. It really is about us. It really is. Even though there's I and Rich and Eisen. But we're checking that at the door, and it's about we. I like that phrase from Jerry Jones. George Kittle coming up. Justin Turner after him. Two cool dudes. Hour three. Sean McVay, we not me. We not me. Did he put that on your helmet? Right? Yeah, I put on your helmet. Yeah. By the way, I want to thank uh, Jason Feller who sits in your chair when you're not here. Um, You were not here for the first 40 minutes of the the second hour. Because you had had a conference call. Conference call. Conference call for... There you go. Yep. Okay. So So when we we hear, you know, 
college football on Fox. I got a big game great. week one. What do you got? I can't tell you. What do you got? Keeping it quiet. Oh, so you have information. Yeah, I have, I have some info, yeah. Week one. When doing. is week one? This coming weekend? No, two weeks. Two weeks. Labor Day, Day weekend. weekend. Yeah, I'm screwed for that. Uh, dude, you got, hey, look, man. You got, it is what it, that's why I got one more week. There's only, one, there's only one of you, Mike. They, that's it. There's only You're one of one. You're the unicorn. What are you laughing about over there? TJ. TJ, what are you laughing about? I, I, I'm just enjoying You're a bit. unicorn, too. I'm just enjoying Brock the banter. A we he's are. The, Everyone's the, a unicorn. He's the Justin Herbert of sound uh, uh, engineers. I consider myself the Tom Brady, but that's beside the fact. I will say there are five college games this weekend. By, by yeah. the way, is unicorn... That's right. One here start. in the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah, they start. Hawaii and UCLA. Yeah, there's a few this weekend. By the way, is, is unicorn what you're trying to push on Herbert as a nickname right now? That's what people are referring to him as. Really? Yeah. The unicorn? Yes, sir. Unicorns are beautiful, TJ. I look, man. I, I, you, I may he had the greatest. Unicorn he had the greatest, he had the greatest rookie statistics. Yeah. Statistically, one of the greatest rookie seasons ever. Yeah. And he missed a game. And he missed a game. I don't know. And he didn't know he was coming in. He and he did against the Chiefs five minutes before. I just need to know if this is like you know already like a pass through the nickname. Well, you just heard what Keith Olbermann was lamenting in, in in his segment that everything these days is the greatest yeah, ever, like, and there's uh, no perspective yeah, and all that sort I'm of the, stuff. I'm the, the unicorn. That's a that's a pretty high nickname. I'm well, like, I'm not saying he's one of the greatest on of all time, but in terms of rookie seasons, he's as he's as great as they've ever been. Never been better, actually. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of one, which is another phrase, a unicorn. That's what you're looking for in the draft. Every single person that drafted a quarterback this past April is hoping that they see Justin Herbert. This I year. have no issue with Justin Herbert, but I might hold off on using that nickname okay. for another Ooh. season. That's all I'm, all I'm tough. But we, I mean, we talk about how tough my Hall of Fame is to get into. I mean, come on. TJ, TJ, come on, man. Me saying I'm not sure if I want to call Justin Herbert the, the, the unicorn and some of your takes on the Hall of Fame What's it gonna are take? completely different, though. Come on. Justin Herbert, more eligible now for the Hall of Fame than Frank Gore. Let's go to commercial, Oh, Rich. my God. Let's go to commercial. Just, just <laughs> go to commercial. Coming up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 